All right, so we are in chapter 2 of our study of the Baptist faith and message. And um, just as a reminder, the Baptist faith and message is a, is a statement of faith. Um, it is a confession, meaning we confess that we believe these things. And so this study basically takes it apart one article at a time. Uh, there's like 21 articles, but it takes it apart one article at a time and, and talks about things. Um, and so if you are familiar with other creeds or confessions uh, from church history past, this is going to be similar to a lot of them. It has some things that are unique, um, and it just has some things that are more developed to make us a little bit more specific. Um, some of the creeds that you might would know or would have learned would have been for all Christians everywhere. Well, this is for Baptists, um, and so as we get into this, there are going to be a few things that are a little unique to us, um, but in these early articles about the Bible, God's revelation, about God himself, as we get into, you know, specifically salvation, things like that, these early articles are um, not so much just for Baptists, but these are biblical Christianity. Understanding what the Bible says about God is biblical Christianity. There are areas where you can diverge, but today we're going to be talking about God specifically and the Holy Spirit, I mean the Trinity, um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those things, there, there has to be unity on those things for, uh, for us to have a real Christian, um, uh, a real biblical Christianity there. So as we get into this, obviously these, this one's going to be very important. Um, so I'll read the article to you. And then we'll just kind of break it down and take phrases. And we won't take every single phrase, but we'll take phrases and talk about those phrases that are there. Um, it says, there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And, he, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct, with distinct personalities, attributes, uh, with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence or being okay and then and then you have the the memory verse there do not have other gods besides me um and, and so that's that's kind of uh the the beginning of all of this so um the the place that i want to start is that knowing who god is is incredibly important for us wrong thinking about god leads to wrong living, okay? It technically, it leads to wrong worship, which then leads to wrong living. But we have to know who God is. Um, there are so many people that say they're a Christian or at least say they believe in God, but when you ask them what God is, they don't have a biblical answer. Um, many people believe uh, that, that God will... There's different ideas. So some people believe that God is like this divine clockmaker. This was a very popular idea in the founding of our country. This is called deism. So they believe that God is like a divine clockmaker. He's made the clock. He's made it perfect. He's wound it up, and then he's, he's turned it on and closed the case, and he doesn't go back in. 
In other words, everything that happens now is just part of the machine. It's just keeping on going, keeping on going, keeping on going. But God doesn't intervene anymore. Well, that's not biblical, right? We know that's not biblical because God intervened all the time in the Old Testament. He actually appeared on earth and dwelled you know, or dwelled with us. And the Bible says tabernacled with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says that he now uh, comes and dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we know that God intervenes in this world. So that idea is not a biblical idea. And so there are certain things that if people believe them, uh, and, but they're not biblical, you, would, you wouldn't necessarily say, well, they're not a Christian. But when it comes to who God is, this is fundamental to, to, to Christianity, not just being a Baptist, not just being, you know, evangelical or whatever. This is fundamental to biblical Christianity. Who is God? And so we have to get at these things and we have to understand these things. So it really wastes no time. It says there is one and only one living, true God. Um, very popular right now um, is the idea that there are many gods or many ways to God. Uh, I would say that a lot of people that, that would call themselves Christians but say, uh, well, you know, it's okay if you're a Muslim or it's okay if you're Catholic or it's okay if you're this or it's okay if you're that, um, they would say that all of those paths eventually lead to the one true God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches a very specific, very exclusive way that we get to God. Um, there are other people that believe that God is one of many. Um, that view also goes completely against the Bible. It goes against what we're teaching here. There is one God. So just to kind of give a little further context, um, Exodus chapter 20, um, what you have here is when God first gave the law, the Ten Commandments. And this isn't the whole law, this is the Ten Commandments. Um, but when God gives that information, he makes it abundantly clear that for the Hebrews, any acknowledgement of any other God in any way is wrong, okay? So he says, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord your God uh, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, um, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, and then remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So those are four quick commandments. They all have to do with God, with, with worshiping Him, with understanding who He is and, and what kind of relationship He expects. So He expects an exclusive relationship. So there is one and only one God. And that's very important for us to recognize that there are no other gods. Are there other supernatural forces out there? Absolutely there are. And they are active and they are busy. But there is only one God. And that's something that we have to recognize. And we, and we have to come to a pretty quick understanding about this. So if something is supernatural but it's not of God, it can only be evil. That's what we have to recognize. It can only be evil. And so you might say, well, you know, I, I know that... that um, 
that let's just use Muslim because it's a really big. We know that, that Muslim has had some, some pretty significant things happen to them, uh, but we know they're not of God. They reject Jesus as the Savior. They reject you know, a, a whole bunch of the Old Testament. They, they are not of God, not the way that, that the Bible says that you should be. But is there really power there? Well, I would say to you, if there really is power there, it is not God, it is the enemies of God. Jesus made it clear, if you are not with him, you are against him. And so we have to recognize that there is one God, only one God, and he is the living and true God. One really unique feature about Christianity, among other world religions, is that all other world religions worship dead people. Uh, they may have become gods, but they still died, and there's no evidence that they came back to life. And so you, you take, for example, Buddhism. Buddha um, uh, was a man. Siddhartha Gautman, or something along those lines, was his name. See why they call him Buddha. Um, but he lived. He, uh, In fact, he actually... So just a little bit of background about him. Uh, he was like a prince. And so he went out into the world around him in India. And then that's where Buddhism actually starts, not in China or you know, some other Asian country like people would think. It was in India. He goes out into the world. And in the world at that time was Hinduism. And Hinduism said, you know, your life is going to be terrible if you're of a lower rank. But if you live as good as you can in that life, you might be reincarnated into a higher life. And so that kind of um, religious belief held people into subjugation. You have to be great at whatever you do so that you can move up to the next level in your next life. But that meant that the whole life they lived, they were going to be obedient to the people that were supposedly higher than them. And so uh, Buddha goes out into this world and he says, wow, there's all this pain, there's all this suffering. Doesn't seem like they're getting any real answers from their religion. So what does he come up with? He comes up with this idea that it don't hurt if you don't care. I mean, it's just that simple. He said, if you can remove yourself uh, from concern, in other words, suffering comes from desire. If you don't want, then, then you don't hurt, you don't suffer. And so his concept, instead of live really good and hope to be reincarnated better, his concept was basically devoid yourself of human emotion, uh, of desire, of, of pain, of, of suffering, all those things. Just reach a point where you just are completely disconnected. And for him, that was called enlightenment. And that led to nirvana, which was their idea of heaven. But Buddha died. Um, and to our knowledge, he didn't go to any place called nirvana. He just died. And all the people that have followed him afterwards have died. When you think about uh, Islam for just a moment, you know, they do believe in Abraham, uh, but they don't believe in Isaac. That's where they diverge. They go with Ishmael. Well, if you take it down the line, if you, if, you, if you look at what they believe, they do believe that Jesus was a prophet. They recognize some other prophets, but um, their true prophet is Muhammad. Now, Muhammad, and this is part of their confession, you have to believe in Allah and you have to believe that, that Muhammad was his prophet. Muhammad was a merchant um, who tried to lead a rebellion, failed, left Mecca, is what it was called at the time, went, went somewhere else, built up a bigger army, came back, and won his, his military engagement. Well, he was a religious teacher, but he was also a military leader. Um, and shortly after he took over Mecca and, and made it kind of the holy place, he actually died. Um, and, and then there was a fight over secession and really a disagreement. So for 100 years, there was fighting over who was going to take Muhammad's place. 
So that's another one that they worship, but he died. You come over here to America, you've got Joseph Smith, this one that established the church, uh, the, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. He was supposed to be a prophet of Jesus Christ. He was supposed to be one um, that would kind of follow in that same footsteps, but he died also. And, and so many of these other religions where they actually have somebody that they can point to and say this was the founder or the one that established our religion, they died. Jesus did not stay dead. He died. He rose from the dead. So all along, God has said he is the living and true God. So the living part, we've covered that. The true part, this just comes down to what is right. Is it right that there are some people that say there's a, a God of the wind and a God of the rain and a God of the earth and a God of the sky? Or is it right that there is one God that's created it all? And so we believe that there is one God, one creator. And, and that's, that's what we believe the Bible teaches and that's what we teach. And so that is what we, uh, what we have always went on. So now it says he is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, ruler of the universe. So we could go into a lot of these things. Um, intelligent, that speaks to um, his ability to design and to create and all those kinds of things. Um, if you've heard of intelligent design, that's kind of where that plays in is his ability to do those things. Spiritual, um, God is not confined to a, a, a physical body. He is not limited to time nor space. Jesus said that God is spirit and those who will worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And so we understand that he is spiritual, but he's also personal, which means he has a personality and he interacts with us on a personal basis. In other words, it's not, it's not a cookie cutter interaction with people. It's not, we all go to this one place and we pay this money or we burn this incense or whatever. God has a personal relationship with you. He deals with you personally about the things that are going on in your life. He, he has a personal, specific plan for your life of what you're supposed to do. And everything about what God is doing is part of, part of his personality and part of his plan. So that is who God is, and that is how he interacts with each other, with each of us. Um, God is self-existent, and what that means is that he exists without having been made, without having been created. Um, if you've ever spent much time around children and taught them about God and taught them that God made the world, one of those children have said, well, who made God? That's just a typical child question. And the, the biblical answer is that God is self-existent. He, he has, doesn't have a maker. He doesn't have a beginning. He is eternal. He has always been there. He has always existed. He is also self-sufficient. And what that means is that he doesn't have any needs. Um, if you go back and study the paganism in the time of the Old and even the New Testament, the gods that people worshipped had needs. Um, if people weren't making sacrifices to those gods, those gods could starve, those gods could you know, get angry because they weren't receiving sacrifices and they could do, you know, bring calamity to the world. People thought that gods needed humans. People thought that gods needed humans to worship them. God doesn't need us. And that's the beauty of the, the story of redemption is that he isn't redeeming us because he needs us. He's redeeming us because he wants to redeem us. He's redeeming us in love. And that's a really important point that we have to recognize is that he is redeeming us because it's part of his plan and it's part of the, the way that he shows us how he loves us. And so that's also a very, very important thing for us. And also God is eternal. There is no beginning to him. There is no end. Um, God is glorious. 
Uh, God has chosen to share his glory with humanity, but he's also chosen to be glorified by humanity. So to say, how am I going to show my glory? Um, let me make it, I guess, I guess some ways simple. So a uh, little boy and a little girl, they meet each other. A little boy wants to show the little girl that he's interested, but also at the same time that he's awesome. So he does a backflip, right? So he uses that little trick or whatever to show his glory, to demonstrate how glorious he is. Well, what God does, and, and, and this, is, this is different, God uses us to do his work in this world and he chooses to be glorified in that. So have you ever seen somebody do something with ordinary household items and think, wow, that's, that's really amazing what you did there. That is, that is being glorified in something smaller than you, more insignificant than you. And that, that, is, that is what God has done is he has chosen, yes, he has in infinite glory. He has created all of the universe and, and, and the things that he is in control of, the things that he has done is beyond even human comprehension, but he has also chosen to work with us. Um, the Bible even says at a certain point through the foolishness of preaching, uh, but just through the weakness of mankind, God has chosen to, to lead his people to him through the work of other humans. So God doesn't pop up and appear to everybody. So we know that we have the example of, of, of Paul. Or at that time, he was Saul. He was going to um, Damascus. He was going to try to arrest and, and, and extradite Christians back to Jerusalem where they could be punished. We, we know that. And, and Jesus met him on the road, and Jesus led him to Jesus. Jesus evangelized him. Jesus saved him right there on that road. But that's not the experience that most people have. Most people hear the gospel through preaching or through a friend telling them the gospel and they believe in that manner. And so what we have to understand is that God has chosen to work through people to reveal his glory, to reveal who he truly is. So is God glorious? Absolutely. And we have several passages to back that up showing God's glory. Um, there's a list on page 24. There's this list um, telling about God's glory and it is not complete by any stretch as far as what you know, the Word of God tells us about His own glory. But that is a list, just for further uh, reference there. Um, <clears throat> there is no God like Him. But another thing that's really important about God, um, along with His glory, is the fact that He is unchanging. If you are perfect, you have to be unchanging. Because perfect doesn't change. He is perfect. So think about something maybe in your home that, that, that you have perfected. Uh, or at least according to your family. So something maybe you cook, the banana pudding or something like that that you cook. And you don't, you don't experiment with that, right? You don't change that because it's right. So you don't change those things. Well, that's what we have to understand about God is that we are changing because we're not perfect and we're trying to become perfect. But God is perfect, so he doesn't change. And so it actually gives you a little matching exercise here to kind of check yourself on some of these things. Um, so un, uh, I like to go through the letters. That's just easier for me. So there was never a time when God was not. Um, that would be number four. He's eternal, right? Um, God is complete in himself and needs nothing. What is that? Self-existent, yes. God keeps his promises. Yes, that's unchanging. Uh, God's knowledge is infinite. All-knowing. 
Um, God is not limited to a physical body. Spiritual. And God relates to his people in a personal way. He is personal. Yes. Um, so one there that we didn't actually talk about a lot, but it actually says it in, in, in the uh, statement, so we need to look at this. Um, right about the middle of the statement, it says, His perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of His free creatures. So notice how that's stated there. Um, so we just covered uh, so some of the really key parts of Romans chapter 8 that talked about you know, God foreknew, God predestined, uh, to be conformed to his image. Um, and you know that there's kind of a debate about, is God completely in control and humans have no free will? Or is God, you know, in control, but humans do have free will and choice? Well, the Baptist faith and message walks that line, and essentially what it says is that we are free creatures. We are going to make our choices. And, you know, the Bible tells us, don't sin. The Bible tells us what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And so it does seem like we have free choice. And, and, and that's where the Baptist, and Baptist faith and message is, is that we have free choice. But God knows what those choices are going to be. So he makes his plans. Not that, that we dictate God's plan, but he knows what we're going to do. He is aware of it. He has foreknowledge. He knows what we are going to do. So not a single person that gets to heaven is going to be a surprise to God. Oh, I never would have thought you'd have made it. I mean, that's, that's not how God's going to respond to those things. He knows those things. But also in your life, and maybe this can be a comfort, you're probably going to make another mistake. Maybe not today, maybe not tonight, but probably by tomorrow you'll make another mistake. And here's what I want you to know. God knows about that mistake. He knows what the consequences of, those, of that mistake is going to be. And he knows how he's going to use that mistake, even that mistake. Because remember what we've seen in Romans 8, 28. He's going to use that mistake to make you better, to, to, to bring good out of it. He's going to redeem that mistake in, in some good way. And so that's something that, that should be an encouragement to all of us. God already knows. He's aware of that. And he, is already, he already has a plan to make that something that, that you could still um, grow through or grow uh, in. Um, so anyway, it's just an important thing that we have to recognize. So what does God do? What is the activity of God? The statement also gives us some of that. One, he is creator. He brought all things into being. I mean, that's pretty well established in Scripture. He is the redeemer. Uh, when you look at... Um, the stories in the Bible, they're all leading up to Jesus, right? But, but you have Adam and Eve and their fall. God comes in and he could have just been all rage and justice, but instead he gives them a path. He, he sets them on a path of, for the rest of their lives. Although they are going to die now, their path will end. He sets them on a path and he, 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 he chooses Noah to be a, a redeemer of the people through Noah. Then he chooses Abraham and he keeps going down the line of choosing people and being a redeemer in different ways. So he chooses Joseph to, to redeem the people from the famine that's coming. He also chooses Moses to redeem or bring the people out of Egypt. And as you go on down the line, it gets to Jesus, where he chooses Jesus, but Jesus is his son also. But Jesus is used to be the redeemer of all mankind. So that is an activity of God, that he is a redeemer. He is also a preserver. God is the one preserving us. Could we go away from God? Well, that's a question that people ask. Um, people ask, if you're saved, um, can you just backslide to a point that you've just lost your salvation, that you've gone, that you've left God? Well, God is a preserver. When you become His, you become His responsibility. He will keep you. 
And that's an important thing. God is preserving us. He is, he is holding us to him. Everything is under his control. It is also under his care, and he will not lose it. Um, God is ruler. And that's another thing that we have to kind of square with, is that God is in charge. He is the ruler. We, we think, and by we now I'm talking about the human race, we think that we can set terms. We think that we can determine who lives and who dies. We think that we can determine, you know, what's going to be done. We, we think that we can determine who's going to be free and who's going to be oppressed, who's going to be rich and who's going to be poor. We think we make these decisions, but that's not true. We act like we do. We, we walk around thinking that we're in control, but we're really not. You know, when we see little kids doing this, they, they march around the house and, 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 and give commands and give orders and say what's going to be and all that kind of stuff. And everybody thinks, oh, that's cute. They think they're in control. That's us. That is us. We think we're in control, commanding God or dictating terms to God, and we don't. We are not the ruler. He is the ruler. He is in control. Um, the Bible makes that abundantly clear. There's a list of verses for virtually every one of these things uh, indicating that God is in control. Um, <clears throat> one other thing uh, that we have to mention um, and I think in your book it's a little bit later, but I think it fits right here. Uh, sovereignty. God is sovereign. So what does that mean? That means that God has complete authority over his realm. The whole, all of creation is his realm, but God has complete authority over his realm. So there will be things done in a sovereign nation that the sovereign doesn't agree with. So think about, you know, the kingdoms in the, in the Middle Ages. You think about the kingdoms, and I, 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 you, could, you could think about like Henry VIII. Um, I don't like that. So let's think about um, Louis XIV in, in, in France. Louis XIV was an absolute sovereign. He didn't answer to a parliament. He didn't answer to his nobles. He had them totally distracted by little games and stuff at Versailles. So he was completely in control. But in France, there were things happening that he didn't approve of, that he didn't agree with. And he, and he went through a process of getting rid of those things or dealing with those things in some way. So the sovereign, there will be things that happen in the kingdom of the sovereign that the sovereign is not pleased with. But that doesn't make him less sovereign. That just means that he now has something that he's going to do something about. So a lot of people get confused about the sovereignty of God. They say, well, if God is sovereign, then why is there evil in this world? God is working on that. In fact, he has a plan, and we all know it. We know the gospel. We know what God's going to do, and we also know what God's going to do to those and, and, and about those who never accept the gospel. We know what's going to happen there. So God is sovereign. He is in control. So we have to recognize that. We also have to recognize that in our own lives. So in our own lives, we think that, that we have to use our best judgment and, and use all the information available to us and, and we have to make decisions in our lives. Well, that's not necessarily the case. The Bible teaches us that we can fully rely on God. We can depend on Him and trust His plan in our lives. And I assure you that if you trust God, He will lead you down paths that don't make any sense, that go against your better judgment. But if you do the things that God leads you to do, He's sovereign, so He has control he will make those things work. And so that's just an important thing, I think, that we have to remember, that we have to recognize as we think about God. Now, we need to talk about the Trinity. Um, and the reason we need to talk about the Trinity is because this is a very divisive 
thought for a lot of people. Um, th there are groups that, that some people might even say are Christian groups that do not believe in the Trinity. Uh, the Mormons don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, Jehovah's Witness don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, Christian scientists don't believe in the Trinity. And, and you know, you can, you can make a longer list than that, but there are people that don't believe in the Trinity. So, what is the Trinity? Well, simply stated, the Trinity is the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. So, God is fully God. Jesus is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. But there's only one God. And so that's, that's, that's not comprehensible. That's basically where, what your book does. It spends a page basically explaining that you can't explain it. Um, we can't fully understand how that works. How God can be the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That He can be true to Himself. That He can be singular. But yet He can be the triune God. But what we understand, the way that we see it, the way that we understand it is God is the ruler, he is the father, he is over all things, the son was sent to be our redeemer, he now is seated at the right hand of God. The Bible tells us that he has a different role from the father, he is the advocate for us. But then there actually comes a time where the Bible tells us that he will sit on the great white throne. And so there, is, there are different roles at different times. We understand that the Holy Spirit has many different roles. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, but the Holy Spirit also illuminates the Word of God for us. So if you as a believer read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles, one of his you know, divine responsibilities is to help you understand that. That's an important idea that we have to remember is that when you read the Bible, you, you don't need to say, well, I don't have a college degree in this, or I don't have a seminary degree, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. You have the Holy Spirit. He will help you to understand what you need to understand. Now, believe me when I say that stuff is time-released. So as you read the Word, it's going, to, it's going to open up to you some, and then you're going to read it later, and it's going to open up more. You have to spend time with it. It's not something that you get all at once. Um, it's, kind of like, uh, it's kind of like mining for gold. You can't go out there with your pickaxe and hit the ground a few times and expect to get rich. You have to keep working at it, keep working at it until you get to the gold, till you get through to the vein. Sometimes you find a nugget, sometimes you find the whole vein, but the point is you have to work at it in order to understand it. But the Holy Spirit is there to make sure that you're going in the right direction. And so we, we understand that the, the, the different entities of the Trinity have their own roles, but at the same time, they are all one, one unique and unified God. So that's a very important thing uh, that, that we do need to recognize. Uh, so on page 28, you got some true-false things there. And I think that's important for us to kind of go through. So um, there can be no true Christianity without the doctrine of the Trinity. That's, that's true. Now, I didn't do a really great job of explaining to you that that the Bible declares it all through the New Testament for sure, and there are even references in the Old Testament. But the Bible makes it clear. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Bible makes it clear that each of those entities are fully God. The Bible also makes it clear that there's only one God. And so we have to recognize the Trinity as a unique biblical doctrine that goes beyond what humans can understand, but at the same time, we know enough to know what to believe. We may not be able to understand it all, but we can know what to believe. The Bible does not explain the Trinity. And that's also true. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it works, 
but, but the Bible does tell us how it doesn't work, and so those are important things. Um, there's been a lot of heresies um, that, that, that have flowed out from misunderstandings of the Trinity. Um, modalism is, is one of them where in the Old Testament, God was God the Father. In the early New Testament, God the Father went away and there was only God the Son. And then in the later New Testament, God the Son, God the Father went away and there was only God the Holy Spirit. Um, that's modalism and it was, it was popular for a time, but that's not biblical either. Um, in fact, I can show you a scene in the New Testament where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all there at the same time. When Jesus is being baptized, there is God the Son. He is being baptized. Uh, the, God the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the Spirit of God descends on Jesus in the form or in the shape or like a dove and is, 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 is actually lights on Jesus. And so you have all three members of the Trinity right there. How's that possible? The Bible doesn't tell us. What does that mean? That means that all three parts are active at the same time. So it's not like you've got modes or, or anything along those lines. So yes, definitely, um, the Bible doesn't explain it, but there are things that we know that are definitely wrong. Um, God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. God is one God in three persons. True. We cannot fully comprehend the doctrine of the Trinity. True. The doctrine of the Trinity is not an essential doctrine of our faith. False. No analogy can adequately illustrate the Trinity. True. So, when we look at these things, what we have to understand is that, yes, this is one thing that we grasp loosely because we can't understand it, but we know enough to recognize error when we see it, if that makes sense to you. So, for example, some people understand every nut and bolt and every sound and every uh, variation of a combustion engine. Some people don't. Many of us use combustion engines on a daily basis. We may not know every nut and bolt and every sound and every variation, but we know when something's wrong, don't we? And that's what we have to understand about the Trinity. There's, there's just some things that we can't say definitively, this is how it is, but we can recognize error. When people want to say that Jesus wasn't God, well, Jesus said that he was God over and over and over again. You can't, you can't go there. You can't, you can't believe that. Um, but <clears throat> there have been uh, heresies in the past, so Gnosticism was one. Um, Gnosticism in the first century was special knowledge. It was secret knowledge. And they believed that knowledge and, and um, uh, uh, knowledge was good. Knowledge was... Uh, and, and the spiritual world, those were good things. And matter in the physical world, anything that you could touch, that was bad. That's what they believed. And so Jesus presented a very specific problem if you were going to try to be a Christian Gnostic. Because if you're going to try to be a Christian Gnostic, you're still going to say matter is bad, but Jesus was a person. Jesus was a physical entity. So how do you deal with that? Well, some of them said that Jesus only appeared to be a human. He really wasn't. And they, they carry that throughout the whole gospel, that, that he only appeared to be human. Some people say that. Other people say that he was bad when he was material, but then when he was resurrected, he became a spirit, and then after that, he was good. And so they, they went all these different weird directions. Now, those kinds of ideas really have kind of died out, to my knowledge, or maybe people still hanging on to that. But Gnosticism, in, in its most simple form, still exist to this day. There are still people who go around saying, I have special knowledge that makes me a special Christian. 
that is going on in denominations. If I said the denominations, you would say, oh, I thought they were, they were great. But no, there are people that walk around believing that they know something or that they have something that the rest of Christians don't that set them apart. That's Gnosticism still. And so that's an assault on this idea of the Trinity. So important thing there. So as, as we get into some things that are certain about God, this is where they talk about the Trinity. Um, I've already talked about that. And so I'll talk about the character of God. Um, the character of God is certain. It's not going to change. So the character of God, God is holy. Um, there is no imperfection in him. Um, they give the example of Isaiah 6, uh, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Um, so we do have to understand that God is holy. That means set apart. That means separate. But that also means completely pure. Um, that, that, that is a, a, a word that cannot necessarily, in its complete accuracy, be applied to anyone else, not even us. Yes, we are set apart and called to be holy, but we haven't gotten there. Not like God is. And God is, 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 is holy, holy, holy. So... Um, in many languages, especially in ancient languages, and Hebrew is certainly one of them, uh, when you repeat a word, that makes it more powerful. Um, so if your child says, hey, can I have a snack? And you say no, well, they still believe there's some room for negotiation. But if your child is doing something, you say no, no, they know, well, I can't, I, there's, there's no negotiation there. Well, God is holy, holy, holy. That means that there is no variation. There is no change. There is no imperfection in him at all. And that's something that we absolutely have to recognize. Um, now, God is righteous. So uh, that's something that, that has more implications than we might think. So righteousness demands righteousness. And so God being completely righteous, he demands righteousness of his people. And so what we see from that is that if God is righteous and he demands righteousness from his people, we fall short there, then that activates God's justice. And so we talked about this in Romans chapter 3 because man is sinful, um, sin leads to death, but God didn't want that to be the end of the line, but God's righteous. So what does he do with sin? He has to pay the price for sin, so therein is Jesus Christ. And so what we see now is that there are people that are saved. Uh, hopefully we are among that number, we are saved. And so then we will not face the justice of God, but there are people who are not being saved and they will face the justice of God. And so... Going back to another idea that God knows all things, past, present, and future, what does that mean about people that aren't going to get saved? Did God create them so that they could be destroyed? No, that's not what that means. That means that God created them, gave them free choice, and they chose not to be saved. There's not a single person in hell that really, really tried to get saved. There's just not. Because if we seek God, if we pour our heart out seeking God, we will be saved. Hell is not for people that were destined to be condemned. Hell is for people that don't want anything to do with God. And so we have to recognize that, that that is God's justice. Now, when you start talking to people and telling them that you either choose Jesus, you follow him, or you die and you will be punished for your sins, they say, well, that's not fair. Well, it actually is fair. What we get as believers, that's not fair. Somebody else paid the price for our sins. That's not fair. That's mercy. That's God's grace being poured out on us in, in a lavish way. But for people to pay the price for their sin, that's actually fair. That's just. 
and God is just. And so when we start telling people about that, they, 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 they react to that because they know that if they don't do something different, they're on this collision path with God's justice. And God really is just. And so that's another part of his character that we have to recognize and we have to square with. God is just. He does not change. He does not, um, he, he does, he does not alter in, in what he is. So um, looking back at the statement one more time. Um, so it says he's the one, the only living God. Uh, he's intelligent, spiritual, personal being, uh, perfect knowledge. Uh, the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. There is no division in God. And that is an example for us. That's an important example for us. The church is divided. The church is divided inside of denominations and outside of denominations. I've told you some of the things that's happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. Probably you've seen news articles about what's happening with the Methodist, and it is happening in virtually every evangelical denomination in America. It is happening all over the world. What we have to realize is that that's not God's plan for us. God's plan is for us to be unified. Now, how can we be unified? Does that mean that some people just have to you know, take the loss and, and accept what other people are saying? No. We have to be unified around what we understand. So that's why it's important for us to know God. If we know God, then there are things that won't enter into the conversation. There are things that won't be a part of the conversation. If the question is, do we allow this sin? Do we accept this sin? Do we affirm this sin? When we understand who God is, that He is holy, that He is righteous, that He is just, we know the answer is no, we won't accept this sin. We won't affirm this sin. We, we, won't, we won't be okay with this. We won't coexist with this. So, but if we don't know who God is, then, then all of that begins to change. There are a couple of really prominent um, places that I've heard recently that there's been these prayers that people pray. Uh, they've been recorded. They've kind of made some of the news and different things like that. Uh, but people are praying to God uh, as if he is affirming of the homosexual agenda, the, 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 the transsexual agenda, and all these other things. They're praying to God and calling him things that he is not. Um, that's bad theology. But it leads to bad living. If you believe God is that, then certainly it's okay for you to be that. So what we have to do is make sure that we know who God is, that we know how we are supposed to live based on who He is. When, when we think about God, we don't need to put Him in our own box. We need to read the Bible and find out who He really is. Did anybody remember with, before I read it, did anybody remember that God said that he is a jealous God? That's a powerful thought. He is a jealous God. We think of jealousy as a bad thing, but in this case, it is a wonderful and a holy thing. God does not want you spending your time and attention on anything else. He does not want you giving your devotion to anything else. He is God. And he requires that we be for him, not against him. So think about this. In, in, in this day and age, people are looking at the world and they're saying, well, if we do this, the world will be upset. If we do this, we won't be accepted by the world. God is a jealous God. He doesn't care what the world thinks about you. And in the end, 
your relationship to God is far more important than any relationship that we might have with the world. Because the truth is, we're not to make friends with the world. We are to bring the gospel to the world. And they will not hear it if we're no different than them. All right, any questions or comments or add-ons about that? All right, two down, 19 to go. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to get together for a few minutes and study your word. And I do pray that as we um, uh, continue to, to dig into this, we, we recognize that um, the, the statements in the Baptist faith and message, they are not um, just denominational statements. They're, they're built on your word. They're built on the Bible. And as we spend time learning what this denomination teaches, I pray that, that our heart and our mind and our focus is on what your word teaches, what we ought to believe, what we know to be true. And let us always follow after you. Let us never seek the words and the wisdom of man, but seek your words and your wisdom, your leadership and your guidance, for you are our God and you are holy uh, and you deserve our attention and our devotion. Uh, there is nothing that man has ever done for us, but there is nothing that you haven't done that you have not done for us. And so we seek after you. We serve you. We love you. We appreciate you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.